Volume One, Chapter Eight of the Old Manor House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Lenarden. The Old Manor House by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Eight. Mr. Somerive, after many debates with himself, and many consultations with his wife, at length determined to write to Mrs. Rayland. It was indeed necessary to pay her the compliment of consulting her on the marriage of his daughter, and he thought it not an improper opportunity to try what were her intentions in regard to Orlando, by hinting that an occasion now offered to establish him advantageously in trade. The arguments of Mr. Woodford had not, on this point, so much influence as to prevent his fearing the experiment he was about to make, but the conduct of his eldest son, which nothing could restrain, made him look forward with fear to the future. He found his own health very much injured by the uneasiness he had lately undergone, and he knew that, should he die, the only dependence of his wife and his unmarried sisters must be on Orlando and on the friendship of Mr. Woodford. To put his son, therefore, into business with his wife's brother was certainly a very desirable plan, if Mrs. Rayland did not intend better to provide for him, and it was certainly time to know whether she had or had not any such intentions in his favour. The letter, then, which Orlando so dreaded, was written, after great precautions in choosing the words. It requested her approbation of his eldest daughter's marriage with Mr. Fitz Owen, the only son of an eminent merchant at Cork, and said, that as Orlando was now of an age in which it became necessary to think of his future establishment, thoughts were entertained of putting him into business with his uncle, but that nothing would be concluded upon without the entire approbation of Mrs. Rayland, to whose notice and protection he was so much obliged. A servant was sent with this letter about noon. It was received and read in due form, and a verbal message returned, that Mrs. Rayland would, at her leisure, write an answer, and send one of her own servants with it. On this occasion Mrs. Rayland talked to Leonard, not to consult her, for it was an affair in which she thought herself alone competent to judge, but to give vent to her spleen, and to express her dislike of all people in trade, and particularly of poor Mrs. Somerive. "'Those vulgar, mundungous folks,' said she, will not suffer the family to better by their chance connection with a gentleman. Let them marry their girls, if they will, to dealers and chapmen. I shall never interfere. They are all like the mother, and may make good tradesmen's wives, though, if Mr. Somerive had not, like his foolish father, had a low taste, his daughters might have married men of family, who would have been proud to be allied, though distantly, to ours.' As it is, they must carry their cherry cheeks to a lower market. I shall never oppose it. But for Orlando, there was something of an air of good blood about him that almost made me doubt at times his birth by his mother's side. However, if he gets these buying and selling notions in his head, and chooses his mother's low origin should continue to be remembered, I have done. I suppose he's got among them a fine flashy set of trade folks, and enters into their amusements and views. 
and if so, I shall never disturb him. Let him go his own way. Only I shall not choose to have a shopkeeper, an inmate at Rayland Hall. Minimia, who was called down a moment before to assist in cutting out linen, was present during this harangue, for they considered her a mere cipher. She found herself terribly affected by the opening of it, but when it proceeded to speak of Orlando, she measured four times instead of two, notched a piece of Irish cloth in the wrong place, and was beginning to use her scissors the wrong way when a severe look from Mrs. Leonard, who snatched it out of her hand, with, "'What are you about, Mope?' restored her to her recollection. She begged pardon, and another look from her aunt bade her beware that she did not offend a second time, when Mrs. Rayland thus went on. "'After a taste for such company, this place must be very dull. Drinking and jollity, I suppose, are soon learned. And so, Mr. Orlando has not been here these two days. Mighty well. He is his own master. Leonard, he has not called this morning, has he?' Monimia, by a glance of her eye, saw him at that moment, pensively and dejectedly, crossing the park on foot. She dared not, however, say so, but finding herself quite unequal to the misery of being present at an interview, in which she foresaw that, in consequence of this fatal letter, he would be forbidden the house, and seeing that her aunt determined she should stay, she hung her foot, as if by accident, in the long roll of linen that was on the ground, and, in pretending to disengage it, fell with some violence against an old heavy gilt leather screen that went across one side of the large room, and ran the sharp-pointed scissors, with which she was cutting the linen, into her arm a little above the wrist. Her aunt, however, did not perceive it, till the blood streamed from her arm, round which, without any complaint, she wrapped her handkerchief. The paleness and faintness, which she could not disguise, were accounted for when Mrs. Leonard saw the handkerchief bathed in blood. Monimia, who was actually sinking to the earth, though not from the wound, was then dismissed, while Betty was called to take care of the careless girl, and ordered to put some friar's balsam to the cut and she just tottered out one door as Orlando, after sending up for permission, entered at the other. This was fortunate, for had he beheld her in such a situation, and had she at that moment seen him, their intelligence could hardly have been concealed. The looks Mrs. Leonard had cast on her, when she first appeared confused, had impressed her with terror, and, she fancied, menaced all that was dreadful. With difficulty, and leaning on Betty's arm, she reached the turret, where, under pretense after the accident of having hurt her arm had turned her sick, she begged a glass of water, and lay down, being otherwise unable to conceal from Betty the agitation of her spirits, and the terror she was in for the reception of Orlando. Mrs. Rayland, instead of the kindness she was used to show him, now received him with a most cold and repulsive formality. "'Your servant, Mr. Orlando, please take a chair,' was all she said. And in the manner of her saying it, Orlando saw abundant cause to fear that his father's letter had undone him with Mrs. Rayland. 
"'I find we are to lose you, sir. "'You are going to turn merchant or shopkeeper.' "'Not, madam,' replied Orlando, "'if you think my doing so a wrong measure.' "'Oh, sir, I never pretend to dictate. "'Everyone knows their own affairs best, "'and by all means you ought to follow your father's orders "'and your own inclinations.' "'Alas, dear madam,' replied Orlando, with a sort of spirited humility that well became him, "'my father's orders would, I believe, in this case, be given with reluctance, and though I should obey him, it would be with reluctance indeed.' "'What, sir?' relaxing a little of her vinegar aspect. "'It is not your own desire, then, that you should be put apprentice or journeyman to this person, this brother of your mother's? "'I thought, for my part, that finding, perhaps, like your brother and other gay young men, that the country was very dull. "'You chose, probably, to figure in London, for it is tradespeople now that can best afford to show away, "'as witness the newcomers at poor Lord Calloraine's fine place.' "'Those what-ye-call-ems, they were tradespeople, "'yet nobody can attempt to live as they do. "'If such things can be done by trade, "'no wonder young men are eager to begin. "'The whole, Mr. Orlando, must be a dull place, "'where once you have got these fine doings in your head.' "'Madam,' said Orlando, trembling, "'for he now found that his fate depended on the event of this dialogue. "'Madam!' I have always avoided the meanness of adulation, nor will I use it now. You ought to despise me if I did, and I know you have generosity enough to have bestowed all the favours I have received from you without expecting me to sacrifice my integrity or my freedom. Mrs. Rayland did not very clearly comprehend this sentence. It was partly complimentary, and therefore to her taste, but the words sacrifice and freedom at the end, on which a strong emphasis was laid, sounded a little like rebellion. She therefore screwed up her visage to its former asperity, and answered, "'No, indeed, sir, I expect no sacrifices from anybody, and as to freedom, everybody is free to do as they like best in their own affairs, as I told you before.' "'You will not then, madam,' "'Suspect me of meanness unworthy equally of my respect for you "'and what I owe you, if I declare to you "'that I have no wish to enter into trade, "'for which I am very certain I have no talents, "'and that, though I must obey my father if he insists upon it, "'yet I shall be very unhappy, "'and had rather, infinitely rather, "'if you will have the goodness to permit it, remain at home.' with the advantage of being allowed sometimes, in paying my respects to you, to have, as I have had for some months, the use of your library, where I hope I am qualifying myself for one of the liberal professions against the time when my father can find an opportunity to place me in one. And in the meantime I call God to witness that to associate with such people as Mr. Stockton, or to emulate his splendour, is so far from being my wish that to be compelled to do it would be the greatest punishment that could be inflicted on me. I believe, cousin Orlando, I believe, and I am pleased to see it, 
you have some understanding, and indeed, young man, I think too well of you to wish to see you a tradesman. Cousin Orlando were, he knew well, words that always portended good humour, and were never used but on days of high favour. They now sounded most soothingly in the ears of Orlando. "'Will you then, madam, be so very good, when you take the trouble to answer my father's letter, to express your sentiments on this matter? I am sure he will then press it no farther.' "'I shall tell him, child,' replied she, "'that I think you may do better, and for the present, as you are not idle, that you may go on with your studies in the hall.' Orlando, in raptures at having carried his point, thanked his venerable cousin a thousand times. He never thought her so reasonable before. She never fancied him so much like her grandfather, Sir Orlando, and so many civilities passed between them that, before they parted, she gave him a banknote of ten pounds, and he was admitted to the honour of kissing her hands. In this excellent humour, which Mrs. Leonard did not discourage, he left her, went into the study to secure his admittance in the evening, and to recover himself of the extreme perturbation he was in, before he returned to the party with whom he was to dine at home. Mrs. Rayland then, having called for her writing materials, which seldom saw the sun, and being placed in form at her rosewood writing-box, lined with green velvet and mounted in silver, produced at the end of four hours, the following letter, piquing herself on spelling as her father spelt, and disdaining those idle novelties by which a few superfluous letters were saved. Raylan Hall, 12th day of September, A.D. 1776 Sir, my kinsman, I have received your letter, and am obliged by your taking the trouble to inform me of your family affairs, to the which I am a sincere good-wisher. In respect to your daughter Philippa, must beg to be excused from giving my opinion, not having the pleasure to know the gentleman, and being from my retired life no judge of the person's character, who are remote and in business, as I understand his person is. Wherefore, I can only thereupon say that doubtless you, being as you are a good and careful father, will take due care and precaution that your daughters shall not, by her marriage, be exposed to the mischance of becoming reduced by bankruptcies and other accidents, whereby people in trade are oft sometimes great sufferers. But your care herein for your daughter's security is not to be questioned. Furthermore, respecting your youngest son, Mr. Orlando, he is very certainly at your disposal also, and you are, it may be, the most competent judge of that which is fitting to be done for his future good and advantage. I wish him very well. He seeming to me to be a sober, promising and well-conditioned youth, and such a one as, were I his nearer relation, I should think a pity to put to a trade. I am at present always glad of his company at the hall, 
and willing to give any little encouragement to his desire of learning in the liberal sciences fitting for a gentleman, the which his entering on a shop or warehouse would destroy and put an end to. However that may be, I say again, that you, being his father, are to be sure the properest person to determine for him, and he is dutifully inclined and willing to obey you. Yet, by the discourse I have had with him thereupon, it does not appear that the youth himself is inclined to become a dealer, as you purpose. Heartily recommending you in my prayers to the disposer of all good gifts, and hoping he will direct you in all things for the well-doing of your family, I remain. Sir, my kinsman, your well-wisher, and humble servant, Grace Rayland. This letter was received at Wolverton, while Mr. Summerive, his two sons, Mr. Woodford and Mr. Fitzowen, were yet over their wine. The anxious father opened it with a palpitating heart, nor were the younger part of the audience less solicitous to know its contents. As there were none of them towards whom secrecy was absolutely necessary, though it might have been more prudent, Mr. Summerive, at the request of his eldest son, put it across the table to him, who, with that thoughtless indiscretion which marked his character, read it aloud, with comments serving to turn into ridicule the writer and the sentiments it contained. The description of Orlando, under that of a sober, promising, and well-conditioned youth, was read with a burst of laughter, while the slighting way in which trade was mentioned, and the contempt thrown on shopkeepers, under which Mrs. Rayland seemed to describe wine merchants and every person in business, raised the indignation of Mr. Woodford and Mr. Fitzowen, who both agreed in declaring that the opinion of such an old crone was not worth consulting, that she was in a perfect dotage, as well from pride as old age, and that it was a condescension in Mr. Summerive to have consulted her at all. Orlando, however, saw all this with concern mingled with joy. He was pretty sure, from the countenance of his father, which he solicitously watched as he perused the letter, that the part of it which related to himself was kinder than he expected, that it had turned the fluctuating and undecided opinion of his father in his favour, and that he should not now, by being sent with his uncle Woodford, be condemned to the double misery of quitting Monimia and associating with persons whose manners and ideas were so different to his own that it was a perpetual punishment to him to be in their company. The displeasure of his brother at the partiality Mrs. Rayland expressed for him was easily accounted for, and Orlando had long accustomed himself to bear his rough jokes and even his sarcastic reproaches, which he vented whenever they met, without much uneasiness. As soon as Mr. Sumrive could disengage himself from his company, he withdrew to consult with his wife on the purport of Mrs. Rayland's letter, and made a sign to Orlando to follow him in a few moments. He did so, and found his father and mother in consultation in the garden. The mother, whose heart was half broken at the idea of parting with her daughter so suddenly, was weeping for joy to find that Orlando would not yet leave her, flattering herself from the purport of the letter, that the affluent fortune of Mrs. Rayland would at last come centre with Orlando, 
and putting the most favourable construction on every expression that related to him, she agreed with Mr. Somerive that nothing would be so imprudent as to think of removing him. And it was even determined that Mr. Somerive should, that evening, write to her again, thanking her for her advice about his daughter, and leaving the future fate of Orlando wholly at her disposal, that Orlando should himself carry the letter, and ask leave to take his former apartments for some time, only returning once again to Wolverton to take leave of his eldest sister, whom he was to see no more before she went to Ireland, and of his second sister Isabella, who was to accompany her to London, and to pass some time with her uncle and aunt Woodford. Never did Orlando obey his father with more alacrity than on this occasion, and on his return Mrs. Rayland never received him more kindly. He was now again invited to partake of her supper. Without putting much force on himself, he showed her exactly that sort of attention which was the most agreeable to her, and appeared grateful without being servile. At length he was dismissed, and, when the house was perfectly quiet, he flew to Monimia, who accompanied him to the study, and when he related how much more happily the events of the day had passed than he had its beginning expected, she shed tears of delight, and the sweet sensations of hope which they now dared to indulge more than there were ever yet appeared reason to indulge them, made this one of the happiest evenings they had ever passed together. The following day Orlando returned to the house of his father, and found that, in regard to some parts of his family, a new arrangement had taken place. Mrs. Somerive, as the hour approached for her two eldest daughters to leave her, one to be separated from her perhaps for years, and to enter into another family, found herself so much affected that her husband, who was very indulgent to her, agreed she should accompany the party to London, be present at the wedding of her daughter, and return in a fortnight, bringing Isabella back with her, if the idea of leaving her was at the end of that time uneasy to her. This being settled, Orlando took leave of his mother and sisters that evening, and the latter, but particularly the eldest, lamenting their separation with many tears, for Orlando, who was tenderly attentive to his sisters, was fondly beloved by them all, though to Selina, the third, who was a year younger than himself, he was more attached than to the rest. Pensively he returned back to the hall after this melancholy parting. It was the first time the family had been thus separated, for, except the unhappy eccentricities of his eldest son, the union of Mr. Somerive's children, and the promise they all gave of excellence, had hitherto made him amends for much of the difficulty he found in supporting them. But Orlando saw that the hour was now come when his father felt equal pain for the fate of those who were about to be what is called established in the world, and for those whom he knew not how to establish, or, in the case of his death, to provide for. All that filial tenderness and good sense could suggest to his ingenuous and generous mind, he said to console his father. But with infinite concern he observed that the wounds inflicted by the profligacy of his brother fested more deeply every day, and that all he could do had little power to assuage the constant pain arising from this source, from which, 
though his father did not complain, Orlando thought it but too evident that his health was gradually impaired. Against this uneasiness these observations gave him, he found the only respite in his books to which he assiduously applied himself, and in his evening conferences with Monimia, who every hour became more dear to him, and whose personal charms seemed every hour heightened by the progress of her understanding. As the nights became longer and more obscure, they met earlier, and with less apprehension of detection, and as Mrs. Leonard seemed to become more and more remiss in her office of duenna, the opportunities they had of seeing each other in the course of the day, though they rarely ventured to hold any conversation, sweetened the tedious hours between their meetings. Thus almost a fortnight passed after the departure of Mrs. Somerive and her daughters for London. Orlando, remaining constantly at the hall, except dining occasionally with his father, or riding over in a morning to inquire after him, Mrs. Rayland, seeming every day more fond of his company, and everybody about the house, even the old servants, who had hitherto had such an ascendancy, appearing to consider him as the future master of the domain, where he was now invested with powers he had never before enjoyed. The gamekeeper was ordered to suffer no other person to have the liberty of shooting on the extensive manors, and Mrs. Rayland was pleased when the game that was brought to her table was killed by Orlando. While, whatever diminution of consequence the confidential servants might suffer by this growing fondness of their mistress for him, there was something in his manner so fascinating that their jealousy and anger were insensibly converted into attachment, and all, even the austere Mrs. Leonard herself, seemed to wish him well, except Mr. Pattinson, who, in proportion as he became in favour with others, appeared to dislike him. Orlando had some time before remarked his rudeness, and had often fancied that he watched him, and had some suspicion of his evening conversations with Monimia. Yet, if he had, it was more likely he would speak of what he knew than secretly resent what he had, in fact, nothing to do with. But some resentment he appeared to harbour, and whenever he met Orlando, surveyed him with looks which expressed anger, scorn, and apprehension. Orlando, conscious of never having injured him, and fearful only in one point, endeavoured to guard against any mischief he could do by discovering his evening visits to the turret, or those of Monimia to the library, and, for the rest, despised his wrath too much to attempt appeasing or resenting it. Mrs. Leonard, to whom the constant residence of Orlando in the hall might be supposed to be disagreeable, was much more civil to him now that he was a fine young man, than ever she had been during his childhood. To her he was always extremely obliging, and though he disdained to stoop to the meanness of flattering Mrs. Rayland, where money might be supposed to be his sole object, he did not think it equally unworthy to use a little art to promote the interest of his love. Mrs. Leonard was remarkably open on two sorts of adulation— she loved to be thought a woman of sense, and to hear how fine her person must have been in her younger day. She was even now accustomed to say that though not so well to meet, she was still well to follow, 
for she fancied her tall, perpendicular figure exhibited still a great deal of dignity and grace. These foibles were so evident, and whenever she was not with Mrs. Rayland, she took so little pains to conceal them, that Orlando, who thought it too probable that on her future happiness of his life depended, believed it not wrong to take advantage of them, to acquire her favour, and he succeeded so well by adroitly administering now and then a little well-timed flattery, that Mrs. Leonard not only held him in high esteem, but endeavoured to secure his, by cultivating the graces he had remarked. She entered on a new course of reading, and a little modernized her appearance. To have made too many and too rapid improvements in the latter respect would have been attended with the hazard of displeasing Mrs. Rayland. Hers, therefore, were confined to that sort of emendation which she was not likely to perceive. It happened that, in the progress of these refinements, Mrs. Leonard had occasion for some articles which Betty Richards, who was a very great favourite from the assiduity which he affected in her service particularly, was commissioned to buy. The place she was to go to was rather a large village than a town, and was about three miles and a half from the hall. The way to it, leading partly through the park and partly through some hanging woods and coppices which belonged to Mrs. Rayland. Monimia happened to be in the room when Mrs. Leonard was giving Betty this commission for the next morning, and as her aunt had promised her a few articles for herself, for which she had an immediate occasion, she ventured to solicit to leave to go with Betty to make these purchases. "'Dear madam,' said she, "'to indulge me this once, I have hardly been out of the park twice in my life, and though I have no desire to go anywhere where you disapprove of it, surely there can be no harm in my walking to such a place with Betty, just to buy what you are so good as to allow me. We shall not be gone above two hours and a half, for I will go as early as you please in the morning.' Mrs. Leonard, who happened to be in a better humour than usual when this request was made, agreed to it under some restrictions. She said that if Menemia did go, she must be back by nine o'clock at the very latest, and not go in any house but that of the universal dealer with whom her business was, and she must make no acquaintance and enter into conversation with nobody. To all this Menemia most willingly agreed, and she believed that Orlando, whom she determined to consult in the evening, would not object to her going on such an occasion, so little away, whatever dislike he had to her associating much with Betty. To Orlando, therefore, she communicated her design as soon as they met, who did not seem much pleased with it, but to a matter apparently so trifling he was ashamed of making any serious opposition, when she said that she really wanted the articles her aunt had given her leave to buy, which no other opportunity might afford her. He therefore, after expressing his hopes that she would continue upon her guard against Betty, whom he told her he saw more and more cause to mistrust and dislike, consented to the little expedition she meditated, and directed her the nearest way through the woods and the preserved pheasant grounds of Mrs. Rayland. "'I shall be out with my gun to-morrow,' said he, "'but I suppose I must not venture to meet you as if it were by chance.' "'I think,' answered Monimia, "'you had better not. 
were we to meet, it would perhaps look like design, and as we could not venture to enter into conversation, it is hardly worth the risk of Betty's talking about it, since we should only just pass each other in the woods.' "'I believe,' replied Orlando, "'it will be better not, especially as I told Mrs. Rayland at dinner yesterday, and while your aunt was present, that I should walk with my gun to my father's, and try round his lands for some game to send up to my mother and sister.' Mrs. Leonard had probably recollected this circumstance, when she so easily gave Monimia the permission she asked, her walk lying quite on the opposite side of the country. It was agreed, therefore, that Orlando should not incur any suspicion of a correspondence between them by changing his plan for the next day. And after that was settled, Orlando read to her a letter he had that day received from his mother. It related the marriage of Philippa, and her immediate departure for Ireland, described the state of her own mind on bidding adieu to her daughter, and said that Mr. Woodford had insisted on her staying another week or two to recover her spirits, which, however, she should rather do to indulge Isabella, who had never been in town before with the sight of the playhouses and other public places, for that her own spirits would be infinitely more relieved by collecting around her the rest of her children. But, added she, with a tear that blistered the paper where the sentence was written, why do I thus fondly flatter myself, and forget that your brother, my Orlando, is almost a stranger to us, and is, I much fear, by his thoughtless conduct, slowly destroying the invaluable life of your dear father? Alas, while I remember this, I know not how I should support myself if I did not find comfort in thinking of you. Orlando's tears, while he read this letter, fell where the paper was marked by those of his beloved parent. The delightful visions he had been indulging but the moment before disappeared, and he hardly dared to think of Monimia, if it must be part of that experience of wounding the peace and destroying the hopes of his parents. One look, however, from her, the sound of her voice as she soothingly spoke of his mother, dissipated these mournful thoughts, and as he led her to the turret, he fancied that, if his mother could see her, she would love her as much as he did, and be happy to add to the family she wished to collect around her, so amiable and interesting a creature. End of Volume 1, Chapter 8 Recording by Julia Lenarden